There we go. Good morning. Hopefully this is coming through well. Uh, as you heard from Rod a little bit earlier, I uh, have uh, been just recently, in fact, very recently, as of this morning, been diagnosed with COVID. And uh, so far, it's just not much worse than a really bad cold. But uh, late last night, uh, my sense of smell just disappeared entirely, which was a really strange thing, but it was a big clue that this is where I was headed. And I better, better be checked out. Well, would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Father God, you have preserved your word so that we may learn from you and may know you better. You teach us as we follow you. Open your word and open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see your intentions and receive them. Teach us and shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. Pliny the Elder, who was a historian, once wrote that salt and light are common substances, but nothing is more useful than salt and light. You know, that's true. And uh, without either, we die. Our body needs both salt and light. According to Jesus, the world needs them, and we need to be them. Jesus uses salt and light to teach us something about our witness to the world. According to Jesus, not only is salt and light important, we are the salt and light. So today we're continuing to sit at the feet of Jesus in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll be looking at what Jesus meant about being light and salt. Would you open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 5? We're looking at verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Slide, you are the salt of the earth. But if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You know, salt does three things. It, it helps kill bacteria, it aids flavor, and it makes you thirsty. Salt is first used as a preservative. Uh, you know, before refrigeration, meat was preserved with salt. In Jesus' day, salt was very, very valuable. It, it was once uh, traded ounce for ounce for gold. That's how valuable it was. Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. In fact, the word salary comes from the word for salt. If a Roman soldier didn't perform well, he wouldn't get paid his full amount of salt. And that's where we get the expression, he's not worth his salt when somebody doesn't do a good day's work. A little bit of salt rubbed into the meat inhibits and kills bacteria and it slows decay. Uh, it's a very natural disinfectant, so it preserves meat. When you live a moral life for Jesus, you have a very important effect on the world. Uh, I sometimes hear people complain about moral decay in our society. Well, you know the answer to moral decay. Be the disinfectant by living a moral life, living for Jesus. Being the salt. 
You know, the antidote to many living bad in our world today is living a good life for Jesus. Uh, the question is, what is a moral life? I'm glad you asked, because it's an ongoing argument. Our morals are the standard by which we live. A popular philosophy today is that there is no moral standard and that whatever you feel is okay. In this world, moral standard is often decided by popular opinion or by media propaganda. But God has a standard by which we are meant to be living. And it's spelled out very clearly in the Bible. It's taught very clearly by Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount is a great place to focus if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God because it's about how we should live life as followers of Jesus. Most of the time when we talk about morality, we end up talking about sex. We know the Bible teaches us that sex is uh, supposed to be confined to two people, a man and a woman, who are married to one another. And if you follow scripture, that's it. Biblically speaking, it's very straightforward. But morality goes beyond sex. Uh, think of sexual harassment and the assault cases that sadly seem to be popping up weekly. Uh, they didn't begin and end with Harvey Weinstein. Stealing, lying, murder are all immortal, immoral. And uh, racism is considering another person, uh, another human being of less worth or inferior because they're different from us or have a different skin color. Well, well, that's immoral. Jesus says not be salt. He says, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. You are the answer to immorality. You're my preservative. You're the preservers of this word and this way of life. And the answer to God's, or, or the answer to this fallen world, that's you. It's your job and mine. Well, salt also adds flavor, doesn't it? Uh, a few weeks back, one of the local stores had steaks on sale, and Bonnie's not a big steak lover, so because she was in Canada visiting her mom, I went in and got a nice big New York strip of reasonable size. And I cooked it by what they call the two-stage method. Well, first, before it ever went near the grill, I rubbed it with coarse salt and rosemary, and I let it sit at room temperature for almost an hour. And I did that because the salt begins to release some of the moisture, which is then reabsorbed if you let it sit. And as it reabsorbs, it loses a small percentage, and it concentrates that flavor. And it also breaks down some of the proteins. It makes for a much more tender steak. Then if you sear the surface in a really hot pan with the rosemary until you get a really nice crust and remove it, let it stand for about 10 minutes and you finish cooking it, it'll, it'll just be really juicy and tender, full of flavor. Well, there are other ways to get similar results, but they all involve salt and, and it makes the flavor amazing. Now, if used in right in cooking, salt can give you an amazing flavor. You can taste the difference. You may remember the chili cook-off that the youth sponsored here uh, one year, a few years back. Our judge was Sal from the Waynesburger and uh, there were several excellent pots of chili. After the judging, I asked Sal, what made the winner better than the other ones? And he said, one thing, salt. Most of us had forgotten to put enough salt in to bring out the flavor. You are that one thing in this world. You add flavor to the world. Every conversation you have can be salt or something spoiled. Every act of kindness flavors the world with the taste of Jesus. Loving someone that in the natural you might hate, that's pouring on the salt. 
One thing the pandemic has done for Jesus' cause is to help separate the sheep from the goats. And the constant moaning and complaining on the one side, the arguments about masks instead of following Jesus and being a good neighbor, the bitter arguments about politics, the embracing of views and attitudes that Jesus would reject in a red hot minute, insisting on our way, tearing down anybody who disagrees with us, refusing to listen to African voices or Native American voices or other cries for help or recognition. That's not all. In fact, that's something distasteful that a non-Christian tastes and wants to spit out. No wonder so many people want nothing to do with Jesus. With Jesus followers like us, who needs enemies if we behave like that? On the other hand, there have been people who have given what they could to follow Jesus and be salt in the world during this time peacemakers in arguments, sympathetic souls who listened and comforted, who encouraged the lonely, who marched along with others who were hurting, even though it wasn't their cause, who fed the hungry, who clothed the naked, who shared toilet paper. I remember ruining a pot of soup in my father's restaurant when I was younger. I spent hours cooking a thick beef and barley soup, a huge kettle of it, and it was a very popular item on our menu but it needed a bit more flavor. And so I went to add a little bit of salt and the top came off the container and the whole lot of salt went into it. And I tried to scoop out as much as I could, but it was too late. You, you just can't scoop out something that dissolves instantly in boiling water. My dad took one sip and he poured the whole kettle down the garbage disposal. The soup was ruined and it had to be thrown out. And that was a two or three day supply for the restaurant. We had to start all over again. My father was really upset. Well, you know, a bad witness for Jesus can have that effect. We think we're putting on the salt and we can really overdo it and really end up spoiling our witness. We need to be very careful. We are the flavor of Jesus in the world. And we add flavor or we leave a bad taste in somebody's mouth so much so that they might never try Jesus again. Or we can show the opposite. So much love and grace and integrity and bring so much peace that people are drawn to their next meal of Jesus. They want to taste more. Related to flavor is that quality of salt that makes you thirsty and hunger for more. Have you ever tried to eat just one potato chip? They make you crave more, don't they? It's the salt. If I eat peanuts or pretzels, I want to drink water or soda or something because the salt makes me thirsty. You know, there's a good reason that bars and restaurants often have them out free on tables. It helps to sell drinks. Giving people a taste of Jesus makes them want more. That's the kind of flavor we want to be, the kind that makes people crave for more of God through Jesus. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Pour out the salt. Otherwise, you're not living right for the kingdom. When salt loses its saltiness, what happens? It's not fit for anything but the road. You know, technically, pure salt can't lose its flavor or its saltiness. Sodium chloride is a very stable compound. But ancient salt could be unstable or lose its saltiness because it had a lot of impurities. And it was the impurities that spoiled the salt. When the flavor was spoiled, they threw it out on the roads to keep the dust down. Or sometimes they put it on their roofs because their roofs were made of sod and it made the roof hard and people often spent time up there. 
So what good are we to God's kingdom when we lose our flavor? When we don't preserve God's intention, when we don't bring flavor, but instead we bring distaste. You are salt. Well, Jesus also said, you are light. Starting in verse 14, he said, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Just as we're to be the salt, we're also to be the light. We're to shine a bright light on Jesus through the things that we do in his name. Uh, long ago, far away in another church, uh, we had a softball team that played in the local slow pitch league. I played catcher. Partway through the second season that I played with them, our church team got into some trouble. In one game, two of our players, they couldn't stop fighting with each other. It got so bad that both players refused to leave the field in spite of being told to do so by the umpire. And it got so bad that we had to forfeit the game. We held a meeting back at the church and the players were warned that, you know, we, we can't continue the team if this kind of behavior continues. But the very next game, the fighting got a whole lot worse and it came to blows this time. Two of our own players hitting each other. Well, sadly, rather than continue this bad witness for Jesus, we had to withdraw the team from the league. We should have been the shining light for Jesus by bringing lots of grace and love and sportsmanship. Uh, but we could, but we didn't. We shone darkness instead, if that's possible. We showed darkness. Now, there was another team in the church league that I remember, and, and they really reflected Jesus' love a whole lot better than we did that season. One of their players was a young man who had Down syndrome, and it was pretty clear that he loved being on the team and he loved playing ball. In spite of the fact that he had a some physical disabilities that went along with that, they played him like any of their other players. When he'd make a hit or get on base, both teams would be cheering for him. When he got on base, we'd all be yelling our heads off and, uh, and, and we'd shake his hand and we'd pat him on the back. And, and one time I remember he made it round to home plate. Well, you have never seen anything like the smile on that young man's face as he crossed the plate. You know, sometimes, he cost them the game because he couldn't hit the ball well enough or he couldn't run fast enough. But you know, they cheered him on just the same. At the end of the season, all the teams voted that team most sportsmanlike. What a contrast. You know, our team was a hot mess, but they were total grace. They shone the light on Jesus by their behavior while we increased the darkness of them. Have you ever experienced total darkness? I visited Luray Caverns in Virginia a few times, and uh, near the end of the tour, they have everybody sit down or stand very still, and then they turn off all the lights for a full minute. Well, the level of darkness with no light is, is something we don't usually experience, complete pitch black, and it's very unsettling. Uh, it's even a little creepy. Um, I heard during that tour that Benton Stebbins, who was one of the people who found the cave was once exploring it by himself and he was a long way into the cavern when the fuel for his lantern ran out well if you've ever been down there there are miles of tunnels down there that you could get lost in but somehow he was able to make his way back to the surface through complete darkness you know in life we we seldom experience such darkness 
at least we aren't usually aware of it. I wonder sometimes what God sees when he looks at humanity. He looks at us, you know, not as we look at someone, but he looks at us through the eyes of his Holy Spirit. Before Jesus, we're lost. We're in utter spiritual darkness. And it isn't until the spirit begins to shine the light and, and draw us that we begin to see how totally lost we are. And we don't really see how lost we were until we actually come to Jesus. Humanity without Jesus is lost in the dark. There is no other way to experience God's light or enter heaven except through Jesus. And Jesus uses you. Jesus has appointed you as the light of the world to shine in the darkness, not on your own, but with Jesus shining through you, speaking through you, working through you, touching others through you. When it says in this passage, you are the light of the world, it's emphatic. It means you and only you are the light of the world. You are the city on the hill that can be seen from far away. You know, in places of desert, uh, ancient cities were often made of white limestone and the light would reflect off it. It would gleam in the sun and you could see it for miles and miles as you approached it. That city couldn't be hidden. Your good works not only cannot be hidden, but they reveal God to others. You know, my favorite service that we have every year is Christmas Eve. Uh, it's probably our, our simplest service. At the end, we all form a ring around the sanctuary and all the lights are turned off and only the Christ candle remains lit. And from that one light, we light our candles one by one. And the light goes around this room until we have a complete circle of light. We don't take that Christ light on the communion table and cover it with a bowl or cover it with a bushel. We let it shine. We share it. And we don't take the light that represents Jesus as we pass that light person to person. We don't cover it up so it can't be seen. We share it with whoever's standing beside us until everyone has a lit candle and that light fills the room. As followers of Jesus, it's like that. You know, we don't withdraw our light from the world. We take that light and we walk into the darkness. We don't retreat. All the things we do, all the things we say, all the love we share is the light by which the world sees Jesus and may be saved. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world, and you are his hope for others. Let's pray together. Father God, sometimes we don't have much flavor. Sometimes we don't disinfect against evil. Sometimes we don't shed much light. Empower us to do your will in this world and to walk in the way of Jesus. We stand before you as salt and light. Use us to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.